You're listening to the City Lights Sermon Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Romans chapter 15. I'm also going to um, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 as well. Um, and 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So if you want to mark those, you can. Uh, if you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. Uh, all the things that we teach and a lot of things that we say, especially if it's like a, we call them one line or something that really summarizes what we're saying, it'll be on the screen behind us, behind me. So it should be quite obvious and easy for you to uh, follow along. Last week I um, began a message and ultimately, it became a little mini-series that I'm going to continue today and next week. We actually were planning on going back into the book of John and finishing our conversation through the book of John called Believe. But after the message, I voxed um, our worship leader, Timothy and Oliver, and I just said, I feel like those are the kind of messages that I'm meant to give. And not because it was comfortable for me or not because I, I had more fun, but ultimately, there's, there's something about the way that God's wired me from when I was a young child before I ever believed in God or trusted him that... I feel like he's just marked me to be an explorer. Uh, He's marked me as Kelton. He's one of our feature artists in the house. Uh, Kelton and I talk about we're just meant to draw off the page outside the line. And for a long time, actually, in Christianity, when I became a Christian, my wife used to say, people love you in spite of your gifts, Chris, not because of your gifts. And uh, for the first first 10 years of my pastoral ministry, that was the banner that you could probably hang over that, like, oh, that's sweet, look at him, oh, he likes to draw pictures, that's nice, you know, oh, he's passionate and excited, look at him, uh, it was kind of like bless your heart sort of thing, and that's okay, uh, it was hard for me personally, but uh, we're in a season now where I feel like in a metaphoric way, um, whatever my sail or canvas looks like personally, I feel like not only am I encouraged to raise it, but I feel like other people are helping me raise that canvas, and that sale. And, and that's what I feel like is happening for all of us, that God is helping each one of us learn who we are in him and just that we're just supposed to live that out. And so what I meant by, I feel like those are the messages I'm, I'm meant to speak. Uh, in biblical language, we would call that an apostolic message. In biblical language, we would call this an apostolic season, which ultimately um, what that means is someone who is apostolic is somebody who goes ahead who runs ahead, who believes the dreams that God has, believes the dreams and the plans that God's made, and they they don't really think about risking anything, but in their going, there might be things lost for the sake of the kingdom being gained. And uh, I never, frankly, feel more alive than when I'm exploring, running, and discovering. And I just want to say this is the this is the first church that I've ever been a part of where I feel like um, those who we're growing closer in relationship with, I just feel like you're continuing to remind me of that, and it blesses me, and it enriches me, and you keep saying, go, 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 go. In fact, my sweet wife, um, over the last year, just said, I really feel like you should start doing your art more and again, and um, I don't know that she would ever regard herself as being able to speak prophetic, meaning like speak something into existence or see what God has in store, but babe, you were right, uh, and I just feel, uh, she was out with a friend last night, and I texted her, and I, I showed her what I was doing. I was working on that floor plan, and I just said, this is just the best. And she asked what, and I said, um, it's just the convergence of all the humanity that God's placed in me that he sees, just like our sweet Abby shared, were heaven's spun creations. His pride and adoration, treasures woven by his love. For better, for worse, that is who you are. For better, for worse, meaning 
that's who you are truly in the sight of God. For worse, what I mean is you might believe something worse than that or different than that, but that is true. And for such a time as this, I feel like for me personally in my journey, and I believe it's happening for each one of you who are stepping in with us, there's a convergence of your dreams, your hopes, your passion, your calling. And ultimately, it's not about personal advancement. It's about the advancement of the family of God, the people of God, totally saturating the whole planet with the glory of God. And I don't say that because it is, uh, now it's totally a great preachy line, by the way. I read that in books and statements that'll be on Twitter and Instagram. And, but I just sincerely, with every fiber of my being, believe that is exactly the season that we're in. That's exactly what's happening right now, that he is gathering the people of God to take their place in this city, specifically the property that we have, it's gotten that specific for such a time as this. So when I ask a question, the appropriate answer, Abby, I believe she's, uh, Abby, I've asked your age like three times, but you're, you 19? 18, sweet Abby, she just sang for the first time. You're, uh, she, I've heard you pray in the prayer, or prayer room, but it was just such, you have such a sweet, soft voice. And just the fact that you reminded us that we are heaven-spun creations, you know, this is for my notes that I gave for the slides to help you guys learn. My first question is, when others look at you, what do they see? And it's so fitting that we heard already, your heaven-spun creation. <laughs> so I don't know what you see when you look through your journals, in the mirror, as you reflect 2017, or you look forward. I don't know what you see, but I do know that Yahweh looks at every point before you were born to this point and says, you are my perfectly spun creation. You're my pride and I adore you. So this is not meant to be an incriminating question, nor is it actually even supposed to be introspective. Oliver the other day called me a, um, a, a preaching counselor or a counseling preacher. And uh, that's, that's fun, I don't mind that. I genuinely long to get up close and personal and help you think and understand and comprehend things. That's, I think, the counselor side of me wants you to really get the truth of God right next to anywhere you are, any thought, any idea, any experience, so that the love of God might enter and clothe that, that wound or that wonderful place. But when others look at you, what do they see? This is not meant to be a question of fear or judgment. This is not a question about race or anything like that. This is ultimately about, and it can, it can, it can exp express itself in race and gender and ability, but ultimately you are God, not just heaven in some abstract factory. You are genuinely the hand-woven byproduct of Yahweh, the creator God. It's who you are. It's who I am. In fact, if every single one of us made up some beautiful thread, right now he is building a tapestry called City Lights where all of our threads are coming together. For us to be the church he intends, we cannot have just a personal relationship, an individualized relationship, a personal walk or fellowship with God. All of our lives literally need to lay on one another, come together and be pulled together and united in love and united in the peace of God. That it might literally be pulled up in God's beautiful pride and adoration and say, this is the tapestry of my glory in this city. And every fiber in my being believes that that is what is happening right now in this church. 
I promise this is not some slick plan or calendar scheduled thing. If you know me well enough, enough I, don't, I don't go by those things. I don't have those things. It's genuinely that is what's happening. And I would be amiss and I would not serve you well if I acted like it was anything other than that. If I didn't invite you, not warn you, if I didn't invite you to say this year is going to be some of the greatest sacrifice of things that maybe you didn't think would be sacrificed, and they'll only be felt like a sacrifice now, but when we get to 2019, you'll say that was my worship last year. It wasn't a sacrifice. It was only a sacrifice because I had idolatry around it. Something feels like a sacrifice when we have an idolatrous relationship with it. A lot of us have an idolatrous relationship with our money, and so to give money away If you give money away and you hold people accountable for how they spend it, there's some form of idolatry wrapped around it. And that's not what this message is about, but from our time to our treasures to our talents, it's time to raise the sails because the wind of God, the power, the promise, the kindness of God is meant to blow this house to influence every single person in this city for the glory of God. I am so convinced of it. So genuinely, what do others see? Well, what do you see? Ultimately, what I see in you, which I believe is giving, it's the new eyes that God has given us, and I'm just looking through them. I see heaven's perfectly spun creation for such a time as this. In every single one of you, right where you are. I was thinking about the first song that we sang, and I just thought, oh man, that's such a statement over a guy like Peter, Jesus' best, one of Jesus' best friends. Peter, in, his, in Jesus' last earthly hours before he went to the cross, Peter, the people went up to Peter because they knew that he hung out with Jesus, and they had saw him with Jesus, and they said, hey, do you know him? And he goes, I don't know the guy. While Jesus was about to be crucified and die, I don't know him. He got so, uh, so adamant, so unyielding, so demonstrative that he eventually actually uses some of the nastiest vulgarity to say, not only did I not know him, I don't blankety, blankety, blank, blank that man. Last, last time I did that, I gave like the first letter and people were like, I think you said the F word today. I was like, no, I didn't, but that's what Peter said, literally. It's that cruel and crass and separatist. Do you know that Jesus, before he does it, he says, hey, buddy, I just wanna let you know that really soon, you're gonna deny me in front of people three times. That's our God who says, hey, I'm in with you. I've always been in with you. You're about to prove to me that you're outside of me. I budget for it. And one day soon, after I'm dead, after I raise from the dead, we're gonna share bread on the, on the side of a shore. We're gonna share breakfast together, buddy. So I'm with you, man. Even though you're gonna say you're not with me, I'm with- God budgets for you. He's faithful to the end. He has accounted for your stories, your, your sexual conquests and confusion and your self-loathing and your dreaming and your narcissism and your greed and your pride is not what defines you. You are a heaven-spun creation and God knows all about you and he knows all about me. Welcome to the land where if you think you have a resume to be accepted, there's not a place for you. I am perfectly unqualified and I'm only qualified because my creator, my master, my savior says you're mine and anybody who speaks other than that about you needs to speak to me. There's this statement that's been just spinning in my mind and I understand that this will get, uh, if you've studied a lot throughout the world and world religions, Stick with me because some of these terms are used by other, uh, not religions necessarily, but they've been used to try to understand humanity and how things are made. But this one sentence, man, mankind, people, you, 
are a microcosmos in which the macrocosmos mirrors itself. This is, it. this, is, this is the whole message for me. This is Garden City, where we're going with the property. This is you today. This is heaven-spun creation in you. What does this mean? Well, I'm going to just show you some simple images. In economics, there's microeconomics and macroeconomics. So I'm about to show you about 10 pictures. So ready? It's story time. The lights will get dim. And so you can see the screens. Here's micro. Macro is how the economy of the earth works. All different civilizations and governments and um, marketplace, how the economy works. There's different currency and all those things take place in a macro level. And then in a micro, in a micro economy, there is small. So those people have different pecking orders and different wages that aren't necessarily reflected in the grand scheme. But a fair wage or human rights, the things that we celebrate and enjoy in the United States of America, is not necessarily part of the macro economy of the world. And in some cases, the United States of America is a wonderful country, and it is a, a pioneering country, and it in many ways leads the way for human rights, and as bad as things can be at times, uh, they have been worse, and we believe this church is about, is about making them better, not only in this church, in this house, but in the city and around the world. But specifically right now, you know about economy and just simple fairness and government and wages and occupation. That's a macro picture. Here's a micro picture. The next one's sociology. So um, thinking about how there's macro and micro with sociological things. Sociology, it's, it's, it's people. It's people in interaction. So it starts at the bottom with you and me, just self. And as it goes up on this, what is called a continuum, it moves all the way up to society. You have self, and then you have interactions with one another, and then there's socialization with one another. And then there's roles that we play, like fathers, mothers, bosses, employees, neighbors, teammates. And then there's groups that we belong to. And then it moves up into social inequality, where there's separations of different uh, races and, and faces and all different categories we put one another into. And then there's social institutions. And by the way, that's not just in case you're not here we believe that, uh, I mean, is, inequality is an insane thought to us. It's crazy. It makes no sense to us thinking that we are literally the fibers of God's creation. Everything about us is meant to be displayed and celebrated. From colors of skin to the strands and eyes to what you've been through to get to this point today is worthy to be celebrated. So I don't want you to misunderstand. I didn't make this slide. I'm just showing you a simple continuum Social institutions, which we are one of those into culture, into a societal norm, all the way up. So you've got a micro, you are micro, you're the small expression of a larger idea. And whether society comes all the way down the continuum and affects you or not, or you as a person are living out self and you're going to affect society, is up to you. We believe as the people of God, we have been placed here. God is not delaying his return. Jesus is not delaying his return. In fact, I believe he is waiting for the church to take their place. David Platt, a theologian who's been a pastor, he's the president of the Southern Baptist um, for convention as far as uh, evangelism goes and spreading the gospel around the world and spreading the message of Jesus around the world. He believes that until every people group is reached with the gospel, the saving news of Jesus, that Jesus won't come. And he says, until the church rises and takes her place in the world, Jesus will not return to the to the, to the earth. And we believe something somewhat similar to that, that self, the church specifically, and the people of God coming together and partnering together. You can see us as threads. You see us as locking arms together and, and building one another up. We will impact society. We're not a church who wants to get into a bubble and be away from the world. We want to turn the light on so bright that the whole world comes running. And that's actually the history of church. I talked about that last year in October, that the first 
churches. In 300, when Constantine, the ruler of that time, said that Christianity will be an official religion, do you know one of the reasons he said that Christianity would be an official religion? Because Christianity met for worship like this, but all the other days when they weren't worshiping, they were known as the first hospitals that would not only administer medicine and pioneers in medicine, but they also administered healing prayer. Constantine not only saw their faith, which was fine, but he saw the fruits of their faith immediately in the houses that they would worship at, in the buildings they would start to build for them to assemble. Those places were used on a Saturday for times of worship, then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, was meant, actually, one of the first things of the church was to receive the sick, the ostracized, the poor, the needy, and the church was the answer for all the atrocities in the world. So Constantine didn't just go and say, oh, wow, Jesus is the way, truth, and life, although he was convinced of that, but part of his convincing was the fruit of that faith. It made a place for people who had no place. So when I talk about Swan Private Crossing being an incredible, uncompromising place for us, next week I'm going to show an image, the same floor plan, but what it's meant to be used for on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. And I know that some of you are you're still warming up to that idea, but it's not a new idea. I believe it's what God always had in mind. So you've got the micro, you've got the macro. Here's the next image. This is an artist in um, this installment in a dome is in Charlotte, North Carolina, so you can come and see this at some point if you want to. This is one of his, this is the Good Samaritan image. This is just to show you how great of an artist he is. This has nothing to do with the micro or macro. This is just, I just saw this, and I, was, oh, I need to show them that because of the dome. It's very difficult to get a really good picture of domes in large paintings, and you're going to see that in the next image. But Ben Long did this picture of a dome in Charlotte. And this is called Continuum. And it shows people literally trying to get up and, and pull themselves up and move up. And you even see some ascending up in that place. But it's talking about a, a progression. Now, as I started to research why this person did this painting, it's not necessarily, I think that the art ability will be seeing things that you see in this house and the future artists. But I think that we're going to go a little bit further and deeper. Not, no offense to him, but theologians are creating art in this place so that our sermons are better pictured and better presented through art than it is even a spoken 40-minute or 20-minute or hour and seven-minute message. But it's interesting, macro and micro, there's a bunch of micros trying to ascend to this place of macro, this, this destiny, if you will. That's what's, that's what's caught up in this image. This is one of my favorite, this next image is one of my favorite images of all time on planet Earth right now. It's by an Italian named Romano. He was a, he was a student of, um, I think, Donatello. Forgive me for my art history poorness. This is by far one of the greatest pieces ever painted. And this is up on a ceiling as well. It's a gorgeous fresco. It's unbelievable. There's no time to talk about how amazing this is. But it's showing the little micro in the midst of a grand macro, which is all coming together. And at the center of that, you see there's actually a throne. Because all things are meant to come together in their fullness in the presence of the glory of God who's seated and throned. And it's not so much that there's a, a gold seat that Jesus is sitting on. It's about all things being as they're meant to be is what happens when the government and the economy of heaven is on earth. All things find their place. All things find home. All things find refuge. All things, all people who are humble in spirit and all people who are coming to offer humility before God and say, you are my creator, they all find their place. 
and this is one of the best images I've ever seen. And by the way, remember, if you type in, like, if you do research in history, human history, the top 10 greatest art contributions in history, the church has commissioned 70% of those. So for us to have a 3,000 square foot gallery that you walk through before you go into worship, I think some people won't ever make it into the worship auditorium because they will be all inspired by the gallery that presents glory to God. That's not a new idea. Do you think the church paid Michelangelo a church like our budget? Heavens no! <laughs> because the glory is worth it. These images just paint a micro and macro picture for me in my mind. So so you've got micro and macro. I'm moving all the way into theology right now, the study of God. So if you've read through the book of Ezekiel, if you haven't, read through it today. You'll love it. It's really stunning and thrilling. This is the best piece I have personally seen of Ezekiel's vision that he has. If you've never read the book, it's going to be confusing to you. If you've read the book, it's still probably going to be confusing to you. But you have a sheet of glass. Look at that. I mean, I've never seen a sheet of glass with that perspective, that good. It's amazing. And you've got he who's seated on the throne above, and you've got the, these spherical wheels with eyes on it. Like, this is weird, man. This isn't Christian. No, it's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. What you see right here is the macro truth of our faith. And what would it look like to have a city, a property, a people who reflects that government and that economy and that beauty. Let me get it real academic instead of artistic for a moment. This is gonna be difficult for you to read because a bunch of it's in Latin. But <laughs> you see where I've been the last few days. Kelton, I was texting you a bunch during this time and I was freaking out. Theory, although it's not theory, theory means it may or may not be true. I would put over the top left theology because at the center you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then you have the creation of God. And so what you see here is the essence. So uh, this is simple. Left side simply just represents God trying to put descriptives around who, he, who the ineffable, indescribable, unspeakable God is. So his essence. So we would say things like God is not just loving, he truly is the embodiment of love and he needs no space or form. And what you have over here is, is a, a merger of Yahweh God creator creating things that are now reflective. So you've got a macro reality of who God is that is indescribable that the heavens cannot even hold his presence at all. And what you see is God in his infinite wisdom, Yahweh decided to create and so that he in some way, shape or form he creates everything that is substance as a reflection of him. So all the micro creation like me, you, the air, the grass, the birds, wind, water, salt, sand, diamonds, rubies, hair follicles, styrations in the eye, teeth, gums, fingernails, you name it, all of it. All of it somehow is a micro expression of the macro inexpressible God. And so for the micro-humanity and the micro-economy and the micro-government and the micro-worship and the micro-thinking to find itself when they look in the mirror and actually see that they are an expression and reflection of the macro-God is the most normal thing for us to imagine and live out on earth. So if I were to refer back to that question again, and just you know, it doesn't have to be on the screen, but what when others look at you, what do they see? Let me just give you, a, listen, science is no threat to a pure faith in God. No threat. 
all they're able to do is come back from their stretches of imagination, their stretches of research that they quote prove, which they do, I think, in so many cases. And they come back and say, well, the universe is actually bigger. And, it, and, it's, and it's more complicated and tricky. And, and, and all these forces, there's got to be, I don't know how all this holds together. And some scientists are coming back and going, there has to be some divine origin and, and sustainer. Scientists are coming back and saying that from their studies. I just want to present to you the macro God in the macro space, but the things that look most like the things that we see in space in the macro I want to show you a few images of the micro. So this is called the eye of God. This is just a real picture out in space. That literally is out there somewhere. And you know what scientists call that? The eye of God. (laughs) Because it's so many billion light years away when they found it, and it looks just like an eye. That should, when I I researched that, I was like, oh yeah, that's about right. Instead of going like, oh. That might prove the existence of God because there's an eye out there. It's not that God was like, man, what am I going to create out here? They're never going to find out. I'll just put like stars that look like an eyeball. But, all right, so this is a, this is a macro picture. Literally, light years, a billion, billions of light years away, and we see something that actually looks like the two things that we have in our face that help us see everything. Look at this side-by-side comparison of a few images. The universe, when you take those images, they look like that. When you slice, and it is very difficult, in fact, this is a brain cell of a mouse, by the way, (laughs) because it's been too difficult to slice the human brain cell because of the complication of it. But but look, 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 this is what's crazy to me. (laughs) When you look up at the stars, it's right to go, the glory of God. Yes, because it's aesthetically beautiful, but it's so much more than that that scientists spend 50 years of vocation just looking up and going, man, if God has an eye, I bet that's his. So the things that are evidence of God way out there look a lot like what's going on inside of the image bearers of God in here. Billions of light years away looks like that. And right inside here, just one, looks like that. For a moment, let's get a little interstellar. Let's let's get a little uh, Inception-like for a moment for those of you. And this is pure worship right now. I'd love to tell you. Could it be that the glories that God has placed in billions of light years out in space, which he created, is the same kind of beauty and power that exists in his image bearers? So much so that he looks at the scriptures of record that humanity, humanity is the pinnacle of all his creation. So image-wise, it is not difficult for me to think right now. When I look up at the solar system and the sky and the scientists bring me back the greatest pictures, they're actually showing me some of the smallest details of what's going on in my mind. Read through the Psalms after you're done with Ezekiel and you'll go, oh, how did David figure that out? How did Ezekiel? Well, Ezekiel saw it. Matthew 12, 34 through 35. Timothy and the band, would you guys come up? I'm not doing a marathon message today. I'm not even into my first point, but this is gonna happen. It's gonna be awesome. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew 12, 34 through 35. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
Oliver said this uh, to Equipping Environments over a year ago. He said, words create worlds. He's the first person I had ever heard say that. I'm still talking about the same thing, okay? So for us to look in the mirror and see what we see and understand that we are nothing less than what God intends, which is to honor God, to, to think rightly about yourself, you know, is, is one of the greatest statements that you'll make about God. What you think about yourself is one of the greatest statements you'll make about God. Well, I'm just a proud person, and I just really, I'm a constant struggler, is an expression of God with you, God for you, God in you. And I'm not talking about, oh, I got to get better so God looks better. That's not what I'm talking about. But to realize he's accounted for all those things. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What the mind believes, the mouth will communicate. What the mind believes, the body and the, the life will achieve. What this church believes, we will achieve. Do you, for a moment, when you look at the solar system, the sky and all those things, doesn't it seem a little bit silly to think that we're limited on earth with like finances or creativity or solutions? <laughs> it's funny to me. As a pioneer, like apostolic fabric, when I cast vision and people go, well, how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna afford that? I literally, it's almost like throwing cold water in my face and like putting a hose down my throat because it like brings me back to life. I'm like, what? They're like, how are we going to pay for that? And I'm like, pay for that. I'm, I know history enough to know that the church never figured out when they built the Sistina Capella, how are we going to pay for this? It was the glory of God needs to be experienced outside of our services that in that time were in Latin. What if we created an art piece that would communicate the glory of God that every person, no matter what language they speak or where they've been, can get up and behold an expression and reflection of the glory. Your life truly is a micro manifestation of your macro belief conviction. What I mean is you as an individual, Abby represents, Timothy represents in a micro way, a, a single way. What's true about the indescribable? That's, you know, that's the church. That's, that's who we are. This isn't just for some. This is for all of us. All of you have that type of value and identity in Christ. All of us do. Don't get in a comparison trap like, well, I can't do what that person does and I can't do what she does and she does this better and he does that and I can't do this and, and there's no need, like there's no redemptive value in the, the, my life. Like that is just all from hell. That's just not true. That's either from heaven or hell, by the way. And so that, that's that category. Let me read 2 Corinthians 4. I'm gonna jump around a little bit, so stick with me here. 2 Corinthians 4, verse five. What we proclaim is not of ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ the Lord. I believe what we're stepping into a church is not, it's not a Chris Armfield vision. It is, it is a vision and a dream of God that we're dreaming with him. Verse six, for God, for, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what he just said? The, the voice, the thought of God, his words that created all the worlds. The light that shone in darkness when he spoke it, look, 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 look. He has shown that into our hearts and given light of the knowledge of the, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. What that's simply saying is the same influence and creativity and power that created everything now shines in you. He spoke you into existence and you shine back. So this is the essential thing. What are you as the micro going to reflect out to a macro? If, if your 
thinking and believing worked in a microwave was to create the macro economy of earth, what would it, what would it look like? We can't settle for a pauper scarcity thought. We can't think in earthly budget when Yahweh has none. Yahweh's not generous because generous means that it, it made a dent in what he has. There's no measurement for him. That's in you now. That's in you. That's the new operating system that we get to live from and through and out. But what are we? We're, tre- we're treasures. We're treasures in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Already two times it says, this isn't us, this is him. This isn't us, this is him. But there's a partnership that is unrefuted. It, it, it's not a negotiation. Saying that the glory that created everything is now in you. You're like, but I'm feeble. It's like, yeah, you're like, you're like a a clay pot with the glory of eternity inside of it. You're like, whoa, we got to be careful with that clay pot. Well, later he goes, hey, even though the outer pot is perishing, the newness, the spirit inside of you is being renewed every second. Because God does what he does and he's good at what he does. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. We're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made manifest in our mouth, in our mind, in our giving, in our time. This is the purpose of of who we are as a people as we come together in the fabric. It's to manifest the very glory of God. Do you know that statement right there, pressed and beaten down and weary? That's gonna come. Yeah, there's going to be hail in the windstorms. The enemy is going to try to do everything he can in his power, but none of it will thwart the purposes of God, and we are the people of God covered by the provision of God. Remember, your life is a micro-manifestation. It says it right here. For we who live are always being delivered over to death. For Jesus' sake, why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So he's like, man, we feel like we're dying. We feel like we're worthless. But if we are physically still on earth, it's that the glory of God will be made manifest. Manifest simply means to literally produce, communicate, to to, to make known, to reveal, to come alive. So far, he's covered the creations of everything before the fall, and he's covered all the way down to our frailty and dying self. And it says, that manifests the glory of God. His saving and giving you that light in you manifests the glory of God so that as you go on this life and you will be hurting at times, the manifest presence of God is what you reflect. There's no exceptions to this. This is all people. This is why Jesus says, hey, You are blessed if you're poor in spirit. You're blessed if this makes sense to you. You're blessed. What about this and me? What about this and me? If you get it, you're blessed. You're in. You got it. I believe. Then my presence has been made manifest. My wisdom, my love for you has been made manifest. Verse 16, verse 15. For it is all for your sake so that grace extends more and more to people and that it might increase with thanksgiving. So we live in this way, not for ourselves or not to ourselves or for ourselves, but that we would literally be turned, literally. I've I've been visually trying to figure out how to turn my literal body inside out because that's what's happening. At the uh, transfiguration, there's a story in Jesus' life where a few of his buddies were with him and he walked up the hill a little bit and literally light shined out of him, but there was no source of light on the outside. It was the glory inside emanating out. That's exactly what manifestation means. It's showing the inside. Like a lot of us really 
unhelpful preachers in, in history would go and say like, hey, if everybody was able to see your thoughts and they were able to see your inside, what would they see? It's gonna be on a TV screen in eternity forever, so you better clean up. That is literally worthy of vulgarity of how wrong that is. And as this teaching pastor right now, I just wanna say that that was literally a, a line sent from, from hell that the church grabbed and said, that'll scare people into behaving. Jesus didn't come to make misbehaving people behave. He came to take dead people and restore back the life that manifests the glory of God. Why? So that people would see and know. And the first thing they would do, like, oh, thank you. So when we... When we open up our doors for people who have all kinds of disorders and sickness and they can't find help or, and can't find anyone to care for them, they're probably gonna go, thank you for loving me and caring for me. And the fruit of that is the glory of God just happened and it was manifest so that that might happen in them. Verse 16, we don't lose heart. I already said so when our outer, when all this stuff isn't working the way we thought, we're not losing heart. There's a macro economy. Sometimes we get so stuck in our little microcosm of a life that we forget. We forget, like Oliver said earlier, how, how can we get so bent out of shape when, when the shape of, of what scientists are finding has a never-ending course of beauty and glory and we get bent out of shape and I'm not being unemotional or unsympathetic or unempathetic in that moment, but in comparison, this passage is simply trying to help us see the diagnostic is verse 17. The slight thing that you're going through is preparing you for a greater understanding, a greater experience, and a greater lived out glory that will not be compared to your suffering or your victory. Listen, this only happens, church, as we look to the things that are seen. No, we look to the things that aren't seen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're gone. And the things that are unseen are eternal. The point of the micro and the macro is ultimately every single one of our microcosmic lives are now enfolding to one another. And we, in the purity of grace, in the purity of belonging, the purity of believing, and the purity of now actually physically building in this city together demands that we not forfeit or forsake what we see when we see in the mirror. You are hand-spun treasures of heaven. life truly is a micro-manifestation of your macro-belief conviction. 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart imagined, the mind imagined, the things that God's prepared for those who love him, these things, though, God has revealed to us through his spirit. This is not a sentence that we read and we go like, yeah, we'll never be able to understand God. God's saying, I've given you wisdom, so you will do it. <laughs> you will do it. So do it. I just want to say as a church, we're literally in the, we get to do it. We get to be the people who come and grafted together in harmony with one voice that I already read about and literally turn from the inside out the glory that he's placed in us and display it for the world to come and say, thank you. <laughs> we manifest unseen, untold, untasted glory when we look upon the surpassing worth of Jesus and live from his garden city economy, his macro economy that tells about species and, and health and wealth and gardens and occupation and family and uncling and auntie and grandparenting and mercy and kindness and 
all of the stuff we read about in Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything, and this is the season. This is the time. If you know me well, you know that I would have never said these statements as a programmatic, like, hey, let's choose that date to do this thing. I just believe with every fiber of my being, this is it. Here we are for such a time as this. And the elders have been praying and thinking, their spiritual overseers for the direction of this church. We're praying, like, is this the season? So when the architect said to me this last week, he said, I need to tell you something. This is a, this is a crucial moment. I said, what? Do you have new plans? He goes, no. I need to talk about schedule. I need to talk about finances. I'm like, okay. And he goes, it's up to you guys now. If you want to get to the point where every single thing is planned and designed and all the permits are pulled so that you can actually build, it's up to you how fast you do it. You choose. And he gave me a number. He said, it'll be $150,000 to get the entire thing in place. And you can put a shovel on the ground that day. And I go, well, what's left after that? He said, nothing. We just build it. Now, the whole project doesn't cost $150,000. I'll talk a whole lot about that how next week. But I do believe, and I believe for several years now, that we're going to get into this property not by pledges, but by free will offerings, people giving of what they have physically now liquid, and we're going to go as far as those funds bring us. That's going to change some because I don't make all those decisions. Our spiritual overseers come in unison and make those decisions together. But I believe this 150000 that's needed, I, I want you to pray and consider making that happen. And if we get $2 million out of that, that's awesome. But I believe that we're going to have at least that because when the biblical history, whenever that was called for, they always had more than enough. And their leader said, stop, don't bring any more money. We have enough. I'm looking forward to making that announcement. Why are we doing this? Last week was the wow, the what, this week is the why. I just close with this scripture verse from Romans 15. We who are strong, and you might think already, oh, I'm disqualified. You're looking through the wrong lens. You're looking into the wrong eyeball. We who are strong, that just means you're able, have an obligation. We literally owe it to the world to bear with the failings of the weak. Literally, that's who our church should be made up of. The failings of the week, those who are hurting, we're here for you. We're coming. We're coming for you. You think we have to be patient as worship leaders and preachers and, and child care workers. Think about all those people who aren't here, the failing, the weak, the ostracized, not knowing that there's a place for them. We do this not to please ourselves, but let each of us look out and please our neighbor, which is just anybody that's in front of you for his or her good, to build that person up. For Christ didn't please himself, but actually chose all the weak and all the failings and said, hey, I'm gonna put all those on me so that you can go tell everybody they don't have to have those things on them. Verse five, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in one accord. Harmony means you're all cherishing the same things. It's not about holding a musical note. It's about all cherishing Jesus. That together when you cherish Jesus, you may with one voice be so unified that you'll glorify the God and Father of Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is, the, this is how it works. So therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I cannot be the pastor of a church that is not right now welcoming people as Christ has welcomed me. Can't. We can't afford it. We don't do that when we get to the property. We do that now. This whole message can be summed up in that way. The macro economy of heaven is that those 
that love exists there, mercy and kindness and forbearance. And so our lives in a micro way are welcoming in the same way that Christ has welcomed you into his house. We, yes, that'll be a banner statement over the Swamp River Crossing, but it needs to be a banner statement of our lives today. That word welcome is actually, it's, it's the most intimate word you can imagine. It actually means intercourse. So that's how close he's saying, take that person in. Be one with the hurting, the weak, the failing. Because Yahweh in the macro economy says there are no orphans in my house. <laughs> Prepare a place for them. And I want to, I literally, no, no one who I want to be the property is listening to this message, but what I want to shout to this city is, we're coming. Sorry it's taken us five years, but we're coming. And if you find us now as the people, we are those people. And soon we're going to put together a property for you to come to as well. That you'd see the manifest glory in the people and the property, that it might be heaven on earth, where heaven and earth meet. We'll see you soon. God doesn't just want to have a revelation of Christ. He wants us to be a reflection of Christ. I read this woman. She wrote a bunch of articles. This Nancy Missler. God doesn't want to just have a revelation of Christ. He wants us to have a reflection of him everywhere we go. So my last statement to you guys this morning is Christ has revealed himself to us and in us that he might be reflected through us. It's time to turn the revelation of God inside out, church. Time to turn it inside out. Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please let us know by leaving feedback on our iTunes channel. We hope you've enjoyed exalting Jesus with us.